for me, in terms of coaching the sort of skill sets that I would like a sprinter to have, then I would say that the, the sled is counterproductive to the skill side of things. Now, obviously, it's not counterproductive. If you want to use it as an extension of a weight room activity to build some, you know, I guess you could call specific overload training or, you know, however you want to term it, then obviously it's going to help. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So on this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, we have Steve Fudge. And although we've had plenty of people on in the past who've discussed speed training for team sports, we've not had many people on the podcast discussing speed training for speed athletes, so for sprinters. So this is where Steve comes in. So Steve has coached multiple sub-10, 100-meter sprinters and sub-20, 200-meter sprinters. And it is the methodology that Steve used that we dive into today. So how he coaches acceleration as well as top speed running. What are some of the methodologies and tactics and techniques used on a large scale that maybe he doesn't particularly agree with and some that many don't agree with that Steve actually does agree with. So it's a really interesting chat with Steve. So if you're working with sprinters, and even if you're not working with sprinters, it'd be interesting for you to see what you can translate to your non-sprinting athletes. But great episode coming up with Steve. This episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is sponsored by Satanta College. Satanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit stantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, Head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. 
Smarterbase from Fusion Sport is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. Built on infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategy, process and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. Centralize your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using Smarterbase's robust API and custom-built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision-making with role-based access, custom workflows, mobile apps, and personalized visual dashboards. And with the Smarterbase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand behind it. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash Smarterbase to learn how Smarterbase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness. So without further ado, over to the episode with Steve. Steve Fudge, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to speak to you. It's good to be here, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank yeah, you no for worries. thanks for fitting me into a no doubt busy schedule down there, down there in London. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mm-hmm. mind just giving us a bit of a bio on you? Yeah, I can do. Um, you know, um, I started out as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I left university uh, in the early two thousands. I then did three back to back internships: uh, University of Washington in Seattle. Uh, Sports Institute in Brisbane and the Queensland uh, Sports Institute in Adelaide and the Queensland Reds in Brisbane. I then came back to the UK to be uh, an apprentice sprints coach for the UK Sport Program, running into the uh, 2012 Games. Um, so I was based in Cardiff and Wales. Um, that's where I first connected with track and field in the world of track and field and got sort of dragged in so to help in support strength conditioning wise for, for sprint athletes. I worked for Welsh Athletics. Um, and then, yeah, around about 2010, I kind of left, you know, being a strength conditioning coach and, and got into sprinting, uh, coaching sprinters. And since 2010, I've done that. So I've been based in Loughborough for, you know, for seven years and I'm now been in London for about six years. Um, yeah, in that time we've coached, uh, you know, we've had lots of success, you know, over the 100 metres, we've had about 10, you know, three or four people under 10-10, um, two under sub-10. Um, we've had three or four girls under 11-10 in the 100 metres. Um, we've had uh, one guy sub-20 in the 200 metres, uh, one girl 22-2 in the 200 metres. Um, we've had a world championship performance in uh, Johnny Peacock who won the world championships in the Paralympics and recently we've had Felix Strang who won the 100 meters at the Tokyo Paralympics um, yeah we've had we've had lots of success and um, so yeah I mean we've had that sort of journey from strength and conditioning coach to sprints coach <coughs> to you know working for the federation to now I'm based in London I run my own coaching business um, we, we mostly cater to sprint athletes, professional track and field people. Um, and then on the side, we do coach mentoring to coaches around the world. Um, so that's, that's pretty much, pretty much me and what I'm doing right now. Cool. Super interesting. The internships in yeah, the U S 
and then two in two in Oz. What what was the what was the thought behind that? Was there any thought behind that? Was it just taking things as they came up? Was the links anywhere? Like anyone I've spoken to over the last three hundred and ninety whatever episodes it is, mm-hmm. not many people or no people have done internships that far afield. Yeah, I think um I did the whole sports science thing at university and you know, it's like when you finish that, it's like, what's next? Um, I kind of knew I wasn't really an acad- you know, academic and being research studies and doing a master's and doing a PhD just wasn't for me. I'm very practical in the way I work and the way my brain works. And, um, you know, obviously got to that stage where, yeah, I've got this, you know, I've done the studying now and I just want to see what's out there and, and kind of get a feel for what coaching is. At, at that point, I don't think I had any sort of aspirations of what type of coaching I wanted to do. I just kind of wanted to explore. Um, and I think at the time I probably emailed, uh, you know, about 50 university colleges in, in America because that's where my brain went to is a, a good place to start. Um, and I think one of them got back to me, the University of Washington, Seattle said, yep, come over. Um, so I did that. Um, and then when I, sort of got to the end of that one I thought right we're next you know like that was interesting that was good but let's let's do some more exploring and I really wanted to um, sort of look into the Olympic sports side of things so then I thought okay the Australian Institute of Sports are very wide uh, well-known thing so I just emailed the guys there and um, it was one of their sort of it was the South Australian Sports Institute in Adelaide would go back to me and said yeah come over and uh, so I did six months there um, and then sort of just to finish it off, I was like, well, I've got another six months in Australia. Let's do team sports. So at that point, I did, you know, contacted a couple of teams in Australia, uh, reached out to them. And I think the Queensland Reds got back and said, yeah, come over. You know, so, yeah, it was very uh, it was a bit of a journey. Um, and it, it, it was different. You know, the first one was college sports, um, which was very like big teams. Um you know, big gyms, big teams, big facilities, um, you know, college athletes with lots on their plate, lots of stuff. The next one was very individualized. It was, you know, the, the main sports down there were, were sprint cycling. You know, it was very complete shift to individualized type athletes, you know, very Olympic based full time, um, you know, lots more science, lots of med, lots more medicine, um, and then when I swung it back to team sports again, it was it was different again. These were professional team athletes, um, you know, larger groups, you know, more sort of broad type coaching. I would say so. It was it was definitely a really cool experience to do to do all that right at the beginning. So were you funding yourself through all these, or were these paid internships? Uh, yeah, I funded myself for the first one. Um, yeah, I mean, I I left university and then went and got like a part time job. And <laughs> in a nightclub, and then do construction during the day, and just saved loads of money, and just got a budget together, and and just went went for it after that. And I think in the second one, I actually did start to pick up some um, uh, part time strength conditioning type work in in Adelaide, and also got a part time job there just to, to to keep the money coming in. But yeah, I mean, I think at that point, I was I was I realized that I wanted to get experience. Um, you know, I realized that the experience that I was getting was going to be value in my career going forward. So I kind of invested in it really and just worked hard to, to, to save my money myself. And, 
yeah, I think when I look back on it, you know, it was it was worth it. The experiences that I got opened up to and the ideas that started to formulate in my brain, you know, it, it's all paid. It's all paid off. So, <laughs> it, yeah, it's an investment, you know. Hundred percent. Now I know this isn't to do with anything to do with. Well, it is to do with what we were going to chat about moving forward yeah. into the sprint world and things. But I think for anyone listening who's trying to get into the industry, whether they're a strength and conditioning coach, whether they're a track coach, whatever they are, I think that's a really nice what where you framed that and just diving into the, the experiences and knowledge is knowledge sorry knowledge you've picked up along the way is is a real good lesson for people i think um to, to save the cash self-fund go out get some experience start to formulate your thoughts move on i think that's great yeah really really good yeah i think people uh people are very sort of uh you you have to you know, you can't just come into the marketplace and say, employ me, you know, like, you know, that's just not going to work. <laughs> it's just too many people. The volume's too huge. You know, you've, you've got to go out and actually learn some stuff and then pick up some stuff. And then, you know, you, you, you can then add value into any internship that you're, you're going to, you know, you, you can then say, look, I've learned this, I've done this. And, you know, people are really sort of, they, they want you to come into their environment and, and enhance it. Um, so I think you've always got to be thinking about what, you know, can I, can I make an impact to that person, you know, because it's give and take in those situations because they're not paying you. So you have to pay them by adding value. Um, you have to give them something which is going to enhance the way that they, they do business, the way that they coach, the way that they can pro- provide to their athletes. So I think if you can come to them and say, look, I've learned these skills, I'm, you know, I'm not experienced, but I've got this under my belt and I think I can offer this and I can turn up on... I can turn up on time. I can be provide some positive support. I can clean up the the equipment. I can do all those sort of things. And I think the more you sort of promote yourself as I can bring some positive into your space, then I think it's more easier to to, to get these opportunities. And then obviously you get back just the experience of of those situations, and you get to see coaching up close and you know, not just on a textbook, but what it means in real life and how people start to interact. And then you start to learn that coaching isn't necessarily about all this sort of textbook stuff. It's about a lot of the, you know, the the, the relationship building, the the organization of the training workout, the communication with the, the coaches and the, 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 you know, all those sort of things you start to get your eyes open to. So yeah, look, it's, 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 I think it's a real positive experience if if you come at it with the right sort of ideas, you know. Absolutely. Right. Let's let's dive in. Yeah. Let's dive into the, the, the speed side of things. And mm-hmm. like I said to you off air, and like I say to multiple people who come on the podcast, <clears throat> when speed is the discussion or the main part of the discussion, mm-hmm. boomed over the last few years, like so much interest in this area. But let's let's take it right back. Principles of speed training for the guys that and girls that you work with in the in the sprints yeah um you know yeah speed speed training is definitely in you know it's in vogue right now it's definitely uh something that people talk about you know the interesting thing about track and field is i wouldn't actually say we coach speed you know that's not our event um you know like there's let's say for example you've got an elite 100 meter runner they're going to do 45 steps in their in their race right so you know, if I ask you to do 45 push-ups, it, it, it's not going to be a speed event, right? So, you know, it's very important just to define right from the outset that track and field is is 
you know, it's it's not it's, we're not coaching speed. We're coaching efficiency. We're coaching ability to distribute energy. You know, we obviously want people to do that. You know, quickly over the event, but the the event isn't actually speed event. So it's very important that you know when people look to track and field to get some knowledge, is to understand what they're actually looking at, um, which I think is a very important point. Um, you know, in my mind, it's pretty simple. You know, we've got two sort of situations going on. One is we've got the events that we need to prepare people for, and then we've got the individual. And we, we've we always got this sort of two-way thing going on where the events are never going to change. And, you know, in our world, you know, there's going to be 100 meters to 200 meters to 400 meters. Those events don't really change. But obviously then we've got the individual. So, you know, we do have to sort of realize the person that's in front of us. So there's always this combination in terms of principles that we have to train people for set events, but we have to then also get certain individuals who are bringing in all sorts of differences, you know, through a training process as well. So you've got this combination between individualizing stuff and then generically preparing people for the event. So that's one of the sort of key principles is, is how that balance sort of, sort of works. Um, you know, and then for me, you know, I just go through a really simple thing of, first of all, you need healthy athletes. That's number one, number one principle. Um, they, need, they need to be healthy. Number two is they've got to be able to move well. Um, you know, for me, because our event is about efficiency, because it is about distributing energy, you know, movements and shapes are, are really, really important to have that in your program. Um, I like to get those two things embedded in my program. They're really, really important to me because there's no point adding fitness on to somebody who can't move well. There's no point adding fitness on to somebody who's who's injured. So, you know, once we've embedded healthiness, once we've embedded good movement practices, uh, which is which those two are ongoing all the time, we then look to to get people fit. You know, um, generally fit. Um, we then look to. To, to get people to work at sort of faster speeds, rhythmical speeds, um, you know, then we need, then we look to add in, you know, exposure to higher velocity situations, you know, and get them to deal with that. And then we look to get them to race. So that's basically my principles. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to look at the individual. I'm going to look at the event that we're preparing people for. I'm going to make sure people are healthy. I'm going to make sure people are moving well, you know, then I'm going to take them through this process of making them fit, making them rhythmical, making them fast and making them ready to compete. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of how I simplify it in my mind. So movement, I want them to move well. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what everyone ideally is looking for. Yeah. But what does that mean? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And how do you, I suppose, define moving well? Yeah. I mean, great question. You know, like for me in our event, um, we've got to take people from a, a dead stop. Um, we then need to move them through, like like I said, just take the 100 meters, for example. We need to move them through 45 steps. You know, for me, good movement is is somebody who can, you know, look, the 100 meters or any sprinting event is we've always got this challenge between we're trying to get people to move very, very fast in the forward direction. And, you know, essentially the, the event is is controlling your ability to fall forward, if that makes sense. You're, you're trying to press into the space and you're trying to keep your shape, um, you know, in a very sort of, you know, like 
a shape that's not reacting to the moment of not being able to cope with it, you know. So your shoulders don't move back, your feet don't get in front of you to block you. Um, and all those sort of things are just looking for the athlete to express themselves across the racetrack in a very smooth way without too many big movements, without, you know, reacting to the situation, without panicking and taking too many steps. You know, all those sort of things are really, really important for us because we, we want people to move down the racetrack very efficiently. So, you know, when you sort of dial into the detail, of what does that look like? Well, you know, a lot of time that looks like people do more of the running in front of themselves than behind themselves. You know, we our event happens in the space in front of us. It doesn't happen in the space behind us. And, you know, good movement is, for me, is, is learning how to occupy and have more of your sprint in action happening in the space in front of you rather than the space behind you. Um, you know, then things that help that are obviously, you know, athletes being very stiff, being very elastic, hitting the ground in the right space, you know, underneath their pelvis and then exiting the ground pretty quick and then getting up front to organize their next steps. So all those sort of good movement, good timing, you, you know, it all sort of runs in partnership with their posture and how they're holding their, their body and how they're reacting to the event. So, you know, you know, I've dialed off a couple of things there that are really, really important, but those are the sort of things that we're looking at. Um, and to do that high velocity is a skill. So, you know, what we try to do is we try to create situations where they're practicing that at high speeds, but we also then you know, we, we use our gym program and our therapy program to try and put the essentials of, of making this person's body move better. You know, can they use their hips properly? Have they got, you know, good shoulder thoracic movement? Are they able to rotate in the right places? Are they, you know, are their feet, you know, mobile enough? Is the ankle joint compliant enough? Is, you know, are they got this sort of good relationship between a really strong hip and a really strong ankle and, you know, the knees, you know, the knees in a healthy position and isn't going to do too much of the, of the run. And can they sort of, you know, be really hip dominant in the way that they move rather than knee dominant, all those sort of things that we're trying to teach these patterns to help support their practice when they go to high speed, you know. Posture comes up, obviously, as you can imagine, comes up a lot when I speak to people like yourself who are in, either speed training with team sport athletes or speed training with, with sprinters in terms of a continuum from where you may start coaching and teaching posture, what would that look like for a beginner and how would you build that up over time for someone who's a little bit more experienced? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I always say to the guys that posture wins prizes, um, you know, and we've just watched the world indoor championships where, the guy we won the 60 meters won because his posture was better um, and he was in control of his posture. And, you know, in our event, posture does win prizes. And, you know, we have to obviously have, you know, we're not going to expose, um, we have to have things that they're going to learn at slow speeds and in the weight room, you know, which is going to, you know, then have some practices which are then going to expose them at higher speeds um, and you know for me it's it doesn't matter the, regardless of the level of the athlete or how much experience they have we're gonna we're gonna teach them these things as they do uh, as you know 
as they come into the program. You know, nothing really gets descaled down. You know, we'd like them to do their drills in, in certain ways and we'd like them to do their weight room stuff in certain ways and we'd like them to do their high-speed sprinting in certain ways. And, you know, in terms of the high-speed sprinting stuff, we use, as a lot of people do use, we use certain drills to emphasize upright running. Um, we use certain drills to emphasize excels, acceleration work. Um, you know, what we don't do is we is we don't want to have things in our drill sets and our exercises that we're giving our athletes which are emphasizing the wrong things. So we try and choose wisely about things to use to promote acceleration. So acceleration, for example, you know, we'll use an Excel ladder um, as a way of quite simply teaching the athletes that they have to cover ground in the forward direction. You know, that's that's what the Excel ladder is doing. Um, What's an, explain the Excel ladder, Steve. So an Excel ladder would be, we would stick down um, 13 marks on the ground and we'd ask the athlete to, to run their Excel on top of the marks on the ground um, and try and get their hip over each mark. Um, and that way you're just simply teaching athletes how to be um, how to understand what the event actually is because a lot of people with accelerations think that it's about being quick um, and in track and field it's, it's not about being quick it's not about um, moving your limbs very very quickly and getting to 10 meters in front of everybody else that's not what it's about it's about um, setting you know setting things up in a way which is efficient which with a way which you're in control of your posture um, so what the you know we use the excel ladder just to teach that it's the rhythm of acceleration because when we talk about posture posture can be completely disorganized by people trying to be too quick too soon so you know acceleration is a rhythmical activity um, and we want people to do it in a way which safeguards their posture for down the racetrack you know we don't want them to be spinning their legs and popping up their shoulders because they don't feel like they can, you know, they could, they don't like the fact that they're falling forward too much, um, that they're controlling their feet. A lot of people's feet will get, you know, they'll use that as a control mechanism because they can't control the situation of moving from a dead stop into an Excel and they'll get their feet in front of them very, very quickly. And that will rise them up prematurely, which means they've got another 90 meters to run in the upright posture, which is, is impossible, right? So, you know, we use these drills for acceleration to teach those sort of things. Um, what we've done less and less of is we've we've used less and less sleds. Um, we don't. I haven't coached sleds for a couple of years now. I, I don't have them in my program. I'm going uh, to interrupt Steve while while we're here. Sleds. Why? Tell us uh, why. Yeah, for me, it's just simple. I want. I want to teach sprinting in terms of occupying the space in front of them. And, you know, what we do use is we use um, assistance training. So, you know, the, the, the assistance is pulling you down the racetrack. So overspeed, uh, because what that does is it, it emphasizes the sprinting's happening in the space in front of you. Whereas, you know, for me, just looking at it very, very simply, you know, if you were to come in and say, okay, that sled is now behind you. So then the whole of the action is now in the space that's behind you, right? So, you know, for me, I know it's a controversial subject and it's going to cause chaos. <laughs> but, you know, for me, in terms of coaching the, 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 the sort of skill sets that I would like a sprinter to have, then, 
I would say that the, the sled is counterproductive to the skill side of things. Now, obviously, it's not counterproductive. If you want to use it as an extension of a weight room activity to build some, you know, I guess you could call specific overload training or, you know, however you want to term it, then obviously it's going to help. Um, but I think people get confused with thinking that that the sled is some sort of sprinting activity it really isn't it's not specific to the event in terms of the velocity obviously because you're pulling something and it's slowing you down and it's not specific to the event in terms of sprint mechanics so it's as long as you accept that and say this is a general preparation activity which is going to enhance my general physical ability which will then help my sprinting i can understand the connection then interesting that is going to cause a few, uh, ruffle a few feathers. Sorry, man. That's fine. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm tempted to ask, what other things that people did, do, do, have you, have you kind of moved away from that are, are typical in your world that you would go, mm, I'm not quite sure about that anymore? Um, well, you know, one, one drill that we do use that, that we do use is wickets. We, we use that. We, we get people to run over the cones. Um, and I, you know, I, again, I would probably say that that people use use them with a, a sort of idea that it's specific to sprinting. But for me, again, that is something which is a drill to use to develop good sprinting form and good sprinting mechanics. But it's not something that is very specific to the event because you know you're going over that thing probably 15% slower than you would do when you were sprinting, right? So again, in my mind, not that we we, we actually use this job because I think it's important to teach shape development, but it's not something which I would then classify and say, this thing, if I do this, it's going to make people run faster in their, their event because it, it simply isn't specific enough to the, to the velocities that you would incur when you were actually sprinting. So, you know, I think... Again, it's just how you classify things and how you say, well, this is the thing that I'm going to use to make people fast. And this is the thing that I'm going to use to maybe general preparation, improve their physical development, improve their mechanical development. And then it's going to feed back into them, them executing their event, you know. And I think it's just getting those sort of definitions right, maybe. But I, I'm not sure if there's any anything else that's controversial. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. And it, it, it's it's not that you're saying these things don't have a place. It's yeah. just understanding where that place is. Yes. And not getting carried away that this is the this, the silver bullet that's going to cure all. Or so we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Steve. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little discussion around. Uh, sled training so resisted speed training and why it's not one of steve's favorite training modalities for sprinters and we also have a little chat around our big chat around posture and why it's so important how we can train it so a great part two coming up with steve this episode of the pacey performance podcast is sponsored by play Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade 
with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And this episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Omega Wave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. And now back to the episode with Steve. Just coming back to posture. Yes. So you said about developing posture in the weight room, developing posture on the track. I hate to dumb it down to my level, but when it comes to exercise selection, drill selection, what what's that look like for you on a daily basis with your, again, using the whole spectrum even though things aren't like you say things aren't dropped just because athletes yeah. get past a certain level but exercise selection drill selection for posture so i mean we have we have um two two types of well in our training week we'll have an acceleration day on uh, mondays and thursdays um we will then have a transition day on tuesday where we practice transition stuff and then on friday we'll have an upright day so what we try to do is we is we try to you know because when you when you basically put sprinting down and go okay what are the 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 skill parts of it well you you have an acceleration from a dead stop so that's one part you have a transition part um and then you have an upright part and then obviously you have a part where you know, which is which is more physiology about holding on to to where you're at and stuff. So, you know, what we try to do across our training week is we try to hit on, you know, two two times into the acceleration part. Uh, we try to hit one point into the transition part and then one point into the upright part. So, our acceleration type drills are. Um, we like to. You know, as we go through the warm up, we like to really switch on the abs and the obliques and and all those things. We try to get them really good at sort of being in a, I guess you could say, a flex position. We want them strong in that position because we want them to recognize that shape from when they get into um, into the practice. So we we do a lot of ab you know ab stuff, which is like reverse curls or rocking crunches. You know, we do a lot of oblique work just to get things switched on. Um, 
in, in our acceleration development warm-up that we, we we're kind of doing right now, we then might take it to, um, you know, some sort of walking drills, but walking drills which are emphasizing the actual, uh, that we're going to practice, you know, like we do a thing, you know, we do lots of hands-on knees walking in the crouch position. Uh, we do lots of bear crawls to teach them that they have to, to, to move forward away from their pelvis rather than extending backwards. Um you know, we, we do lots of sort of like hops, but teaching them to hop in a kind of like a, a, a position which is emphasizing flexion and moving forward with that flexion in the forward direction, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and we, we kind of then sort of, sometimes we might use the med ball in terms of that warm up, in terms of practicing. You know, I think today we had them doing med ball slams. Um, we had them doing some sort of drop jump um as as it went but again the emphasis was on receiving the landing was you know moving um you know moving the shin forward and then taking the hip in front of themselves but then exiting the ground quite quickly so we, we try to use our acceleration drills in a way which is emphasizing the skill sets that they're going to need to do in acceleration in the way that we would like them to do um on our sort of transition and upright days we we, we again sort of say, okay, well, what is the sort of posture that we're trying to ingrain in the warm-up? And for us, one of the real important things in upright posture is, is, we, is we want a shape which is, you know, if you were looking at somebody coming from the ground, from their feet, their shoulders would be slightly ahead of their pelvis. Um, they'd have a slight forward lean to their posture. They, they would be pressing into it. Um, we try to, to use drills on those days which emphasize that sort of forward lean situation. Um, you know, we, we very rarely will use the common A-skip, B-skip, C-skip because those drills aren't really teaching the shapes that we would like to teach on the racetrack. So, you know, we, we kind of will use that sort of warm-up to teach a couple of basics. One is... If they're moving down the racetrack, we always want them to have this idea that the shoulders are always going to be slightly front, front in front of them. We then ask them to make sure that if their shoulders are slightly in front of them, that their hips move in unison with that. They don't get left behind because that's something which is an important skill set to learn is that you, when you make your move down the racetrack, you want this sort of shoulder in front position, but you want your hips to move at the same time in unison. You don't want a situation where your shoulders get here and your hips get back here. So we do a lot of drills on that day to emphasize those skill sets because those are the skill sets that we want them to then display in their sort of upright postures. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's the kind of way that we take our drill. And we try, and, you know, like the warm-up's a really good place to to get some real educational wins in. You know, you can, you can use it to explain a couple of things that you would then refer back to when you're teaching the session. You know, you might get into a difficulty when you're trying to explain somebody, you know, how to how to transition. And you might go, well, remember when you, you did that drill where I had you with your shoulders slightly in front and, okay, that's what the position I would like to see. So they're very good educational shape teaching moments, which again, because they're drills, they're not going to make you sprint faster. But when you get to the actual sprint coaching part, you can actually refer back to them and the person will go, yeah, I remember what that felt like. I remember what that shape felt like. And I can then sort of use that in my high-speed practice, which is essentially what we're trying to, you know, that's what we want them to be good at. So, If you go into any 
football club, rugby club, I would, in a warm-up or in a, what may be classed as a speed session, you're going to, I would put money on the fact that you will see A skips and B skips in there. They've seen you guys do it, or in your case, maybe not do it, but other people in track and field do it, and that gets transferred because, you know, you guys are the ones that make people fast for a living, so that gets translated over into a team sport setting. I know team sports athletes aren't your thing, but is that something that's made its way into other areas just because you guys have done it, or do you think there has been... Do you think there's merit there for that to be actually used outside of sprinters? I mean, look, as you said, I, you know, I spend my time coaching sprinters and and coach mentoring track and field coaches mostly. I, I don't, I don't put a lot of time into coaching team sports athletes because my schedule is pretty full up with with what I'm doing. Um, but from the outside, I mean, I, for for me, I would just say like, for those people, look at their event, look at their acceleration moments that happen in the rugby in the on the rugby field or on the on the football pitch and and just ask yourself does that person look like they're in a shape which an a skip would be right you know like you know i'm guessing that the person will be some form of crouch position in a flex position <laughs> like I, you know i'm guessing that, that they will have to move themselves forward rather than up you know, because they'll be chasing the ball or going after a tackle situation or, or whatever, you know, so, you know, like, I don't understand then why, why you would see that happening in the game and go, well, that's the, that's the shape that they need when they have to excel in the, in the game. That's, they have to go after something in the forward direction. So why then would you do an A-skip, which is, you know, you're, you're, you're straight up and down, your shoulders are pointing to the sky, everything's about vertical force, you know, uh, so I, again, it's just simple for me just to look at that and go, well, yeah, again, that drill is teaching good posture, but it's not a posture that's specific to to the event. So it might help in terms of physical, physical control. It might teach some movement skills, which are general movement skills, but it's it's not actually specific to, to what you're trying to get them to do, I guess. Could it be argued about developing rhythm, which is one of the things that you Again, mentioned? absolutely. And then that, that's what you say to yourself. Well, I'm doing this to develop rhythm. Just don't kid yourself that you're doing it to to improve, <laughs> improve acceleration in terms of the specific event. Just say this is going to help the rhythm, which then we'll then we'll use as a component to improve in, in their action. So, I, you know, I know it's semantics, but, you know, people just... I don't, get, think, it, I don't think it is, though. Yeah. I don't think it is because it's, I think it sounds like it is, but I don't think it is because people see, again, you guys do it and then think that that, again, is a silver bullet and it, it, it cures all, whether, whereas it's a small, small component, which has a very, could have a very specific rationale for doing it versus yeah. it been the whole, okay, we've done our A skips and B skips, boom, we're on the road. Like, mm, no, there's a little bit more to it than that. Because if it was that easy, yeah. you guys just do that and you'd be you'd be flying or your athletes would be flying. I think the really important point is, like, we've all got limited time, right? You know, like, for example, somebody comes in and they warm up. You've probably got about 
you probably got about 45 minutes in the warm-up to get some points across and to, to teach some stuff. And then you've probably got a session which, let's say, for example, yeah, like you've got an hour. So let's say, for example, you've got two hours, right? You know, you've got to decide what you want to put into that two hours. And you then look at all the things that you can target and then you, you've got to decide your biggest bang for your buck and how you're going to use your time wisely and how you would like to use your time. If you want to use your time to coach somebody to do a really nice A-skip, then do that, you know. But that's you decided to, to use your valuable time. And I, I'm guessing team sports situations have less time than we do. Ten you minutes know. in a warm-up, maybe? Yeah, so, I mean, the decision-making process has to go, well, do I want to just teach them something general? Or do I actually want to get down into the actual event practice? Then, then you make your decision how you're going to spend your time. And it might be the case that the general thing might be the safer thing to do in that particular context. And, you know, they might be getting a lot of speed specific reps in their actual practice. So, you, you know, it might be, it might be the smart move. It might be the, 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 the safe move and the, the good use of your time. So I think it's as coaches, we have to decide that we have to decide content and the time that we've got. And how much teaching moments that we'll actually have, and then we we've got to go after the things that we've sort of think are important at that time. One thing that I think probably overwhelms a lot of team sport coaches, but I'm guessing this is the case when it comes to um, to sprinters as well, is when you've got multiple people moving fast at the same time and i say fast in relative terms like even someone that's slow when you're trying to actually analyze them when they're going as fast as they can is fast yeah so how do you how do you manage that when it comes to coaching large groups and getting then getting information in for what's going on as efficiently as possible so you can then deliver cues and develop Access, you know, develop yeah. your exercise selection, etc. So, I mean, obviously, in my space, I can control it. So, I think as a coach, you learn how you would like to um, control your training workouts. You know, for me, in our situation here in London, it's you know we'll have two groups of six. We won't really have a bigger group than that because I can control my space, and I've made the decision that that's how I'd like to coach. You know, with smaller numbers. Um, because as you go through your career, you get to understand how you like to process things and how you like to see things and how quickly it takes you to see things and and how you'd use that time to, 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 to use back to feedback and all those sorts of things. So I'm lucky in that respect because we coach track and we get to control our space. We're not told that we've got 10 minutes with 25 players or anything like that. So, <laughs> you know, like... I, you know, again, speaking from the outside, it's hard for me to sort of say that because I will always, I mean, this is part of coaching. You, I understand what I'm trying to get out of each day. So I organize the day to, and the numbers and the flow to make sure that as people walk through the door, they're going to get, you know, a situation where the person taking the warm up, whether that's me or my assistant, is they're, they're going to get a situation where it's one coach and six athletes, they're then going to be able to get some therapy. They're then going to be able to start their track session where they'll have me being able to get feedback. They'll then be able to go into the gym where there's a similar situation where a S&C coach who's then coaching six people. And we get to decide that because we've decided that quality is important and we'd like to be able to feedback and we'd like to be able to, you know, teach movement because that's when we go back to what's our principles. Well, movement is our principles. So, how can you have movement as your principle and then coach 25 people at the same time? It just, you know, 
and that's fine. If it's not your principle, then then that's fine. And then you build your sessions a different way and you coach in a different way. So we, we're lucky in that respect. We get we get to to choose the environment. I guess for people who haven't got that, I, I think it's really it's just simple things like being really set up and organized. You know, I see so many coaches, don't, you know, they haven't got things set up before the session starts, you know, and the athlete turns up and says, right, what are we going to do? And the coach goes, well, I've just got to set this up. And, you know, all of a sudden you're losing two or three minutes just because, you know, I think it was Dan Path told me to read, I think the Americans call it pedagogy books or teaching books. And very early on in my career, I, I, I read a ton of books on, on, on classrooms. You know, how do, how do people organize the teaching schedule for, for large groups and how do how do you get your points across in a way which is efficient and, and, and a lot of it was just basic stuff like having the equipment set up so that you don't lose time and your brain's not on worrying about logistics you know making sure that you've got a sequence of where you're going to take them through the drills through the, their practices it's all set up you're reducing time that way and you're given more time to be able to interact and teach as they go um, explaining a, to a large group what you're looking for and ask them to work with you. I think sometimes in smaller groups, the coach becomes the king and everybody looks to the coach. Hey coach, how does that look? What do I need to do? But in a larger group, what you can do is you can throw it back to them and say, I would like this, this and this. Can you guys work on it and let me know how you're going? So you you put the emphasis on learning onto them and less off of you because if there's 25 people in your group, you can't teach everybody. They have to teach themselves. So, you know, what you can do is set from the outset, what are, we're going to do an acceleration ladder today. I'd like you to do 13 steps. I'd like your hip to be over the tape marks. Um, I want you guys to get on with it and try and figure that out. And that then puts the emphasis on them to learn and which then takes the pressure off you as a coach because you don't need to constantly give them feedback and you're not teaching them, they're actually teaching themselves. So I think that's, you know, that's one thing I would definitely say is if you have bigger groups, that's one tactic that you can use. Another tactic is, yeah, the, the, the way you set up your drills might actually be providing all the external cue you need. You know, if they, if they have to run over an Excel ladder and they don't make the Excel ladder, then they know they haven't got it right. <laughs> they don't need a coach to come and verbalize it to them you know, that they're fully aware that they weren't over the marks and they didn't get it right. So, you know, I think lots of external cues can be used, you know, in a, in a way which reduces the need for sort of verbal cues. And sometimes those cues are, are really valuable because athletes are pretty smart, right? And they can fig, figure things out. And I think what lots of coaches like to do is they like to be king and they like to have all the answers and be the person that's holding all the information. Um, but some some athletes... You know, if you trust them, they'll be able to figure it out for themselves and they'll be able to actually make better discoveries with you just setting some guidelines about what you'd like to see and what you'd like them to investigate. And if you trust them a little bit, they'll be able to figure it out. Is there anything else, any other examples that you could give us in terms of constraints like the acceleration ladder that you may use that could help those that are coaching 20, 25 athletes yeah, at I a mean, time? As I said, the, the wicket drill, which is extremely popular, popular um it's 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 a magnificent tool for teaching the athletes that they have to move in the forward direction you know if if you set up a, a situation where you you have cones let's say you've got uh, 14 cones and 
you know, very roughly they're, they're two meters apart, for example, or whatever, you know, you're instructing the athlete that when they exit the ground, that their job is to cover the ground in the forward direction. The, 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 the cones are, or the wickets, whatever you've placed in the ground, it's, it's given them the indication of, of what they have to achieve. And, you know, that's just a very simple way of, of, of just teaching them, you know, a thing which is quite difficult to explain if you had to explain that to them. You know, so, you know, that's why we use the Excel ladder. That's why we use the cone drill um, because it gives us that external reference point and it's another way for them to actually understand what, what, what it is they're doing, you know. Do you think sprint coaches are sometimes, or oh, people coach, I know we said you're not coaching speed, but speed coaches, whether it be team sport athletes or, or sprinters, say too much? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, do you know, you know, Luke, I, I've been coaching a long time now and I think what, what tends to happen in our, in our world is you, you get partnerships where um, you, you have athlete, coach, and they're in sync, they're aligned, um, and you've got the, they've got a situation where the athlete is doing a lot of learning themselves and the, the coach is also doing a lot of learning because, I mean, we, we have information, but in our world, it's the, the beautiful, you know, execution moments under the bright lights are always going to happen when, when the athlete has done a lot of, they've had a lot of ownership and learning, learning the event themselves. Um, and I think as a coach, your your job is to is to get that to happen. And I think if you if you stand there at the side of a racetrack and you constantly are the person who's the expert and you know everything and the athlete did that wrong, the athlete has no ownership in that interaction. They're just somebody who's getting verbally told that they're not doing things right. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how they can then have responsibility and ownership for their execution when the gun goes, you know, because essentially they, they've been, they've been not learning in a way which is, is, is going to allow them to under pressure be able to, to execute. So, you know, I know we can jokingly say that coaches talk too much, but it's, it's understanding that, you know, in our world, you've got eight people lined up on a start line. There might be a big crowd in there. It might be under the lights. And, you know, it might be a championship final situation and, and you need to execute. And it's more likely that you're going to execute well if you've been in an environment where you figured it out yourself. Um, and you've used the coach to, to get information, to understand what the event is, to understand what the coaches want you to do. But you've taken that information and you've, you've got something which you've developed, which you are in control of and you've got ownership of. Superb. Well, I've kept you over the 45 that I said I would. Anyone that wants to figure out or find, sorry, find out more about you and the work that you do, the athletes that you're working with, where's the best place people to yeah, go? I'm mostly on Instagram. I've tried to, okay. to get everything onto one place. I mean, it was hard to discuss the drills without actually being able to show them. So we, we, we put a lot of drills on our Instagram. Um, do you know what it is? It's a, I think it's Fudge Lunging Project. Um, at Fudge Lunging Project, yeah. 
you know, we every now and again, a couple of days a week, I'll try and share a couple of the drills that we do and a couple of stuff. So maybe that could give people ideas of some of the illustrate what we've been talking about today. Um, and then people can direct message me on there. That's absolutely fine. Uh, happy to answer questions. We do a lot of coach mentoring if people want to get in touch. Uh, we have coaches all around the world, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Germany, Switzerland, Canada, all these places we, we sort of, again, it's like our athlete coaching. We, we don't want to come in and provide all the answers to coaches. We actually look for coaches. We have groups of athletes and they, they basically want to sort of come to us and say, right, I'm doing this, this, and this. What do you think? Can, you know, I've got this athlete who's got this particular problem. Have you seen this before? Let's discuss that. You know, so we, we kind of provide coach mentoring in that sort of way. We, we don't have like a curriculum that we're going to, you know, give people. It's very much practical support to, to real life coaching, you know. Perfect. Sounds great. All right. Well, good luck with what's coming up. And yeah. I'll direct people to your Instagram where people can have a little dig around and, and see the kind of stuff you're doing. But really appreciate your time, Steve. No worries. Look forward to seeing how things go and we'll chat soon. Cool. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. buddy. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to episode 398 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Steve for giving up his time, having a little chat around how he coaches his sprinters down in London. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Fusion Sport, Play, Satanta College and Omega Wave for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I do appreciate all their support. Also, big thanks to you for tuning in. I look forward to chatting to you next week. Oh,